But it's been one of those weeks where contemporary media standards have been on sharp display amidst big debate about appropriate conduct these days from the fourth estate, which of course now includes social media. A handful of stories is generating a lot of heat and noise. First, the decision by two popular mainstream news websites to republish vicious social media trolling of one of the most ABC's most respected female TV presenters, News Breakfast host Lisa Miller. Another was, again, the recirculation by the same two outlets, news.com.au and the Daily Mail website, of the online response to Brittany Higgins' personal post this week about her new Gold Coast residence. While over at the broadsheet, City Morning Herald and The Age, owned by Nine Fairfax, a series of front page stories speculating on or really specifically predicting war with China in three years' time prompted pretty widespread dismay, including furious responses from former Prime Minister Paul Keating, but he wasn't alone. Now, the media is often the venue for ventilating changing tastes and attitudes. So where does this week take us? Two seasoned observers of the media join me, Monica Attard, um, a former ABC journalist and award-winning foreign correspondent and Media Watch presenter, now the co-director of the Centre for Media Transition at Sydney's University of Technology. And Matthew Rickardson is an ex-Melbourne journalist and long-time commentator who now lectures in journalism. Good morning to you both. Morning, Good morning. Look, what seems to have really upset the ABC, who hit back very firmly in the Lisa Miller case, I'd suggest to you, was the decision by mainstream media to give oxygen to a particularly grubby underside of social media, namely trolling towards prominent women. In other words, to sort of republish these revolting responses. Now, does that decision by news.com.au and the Daily Mail strike you, first to you, Monica, as stepping over some important lines? Uh, well, I certainly think it's a it's a it's a pretty significant development. I don't know that the ABC has gone this far in the past in uh, in defending its um, its employees. You, you know, we all know that that that. that both Lisa and before her, Lee Sales, who, uh, and both of them have dumped Twitter, have both copped an awful lot of trolling over the years. And, um, you know, the ABC's response has by and large been, well, you don't have to be there. Uh, and, and in fact, it's advised journalists to not be there. It has a, To be it has on a, social media. To be on social media where it can, you know, where, where the trolling occurs. Um, so I, th- I think this is a really big step forward for the ABC and it's, a, I think, a very welcome one as well. It's, it's, it's fantastic because it is kind of setting a, a, another standard, one, one that it can't impose on other media, but it, it's certainly saying, you know, we do not think, the, the national broadcaster does not think it is acceptable for a news media organisation when they are writing about a legitimate story, that is the trolling of women, women to amplify the offence and amplify the 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 troll-like tweets um, and and thereby encourage people to do more of it or to copycat it worse still. So, um, you know, I think it is setting a new standard of sorts. And it's kind of like, you know, when we we went through that whole era of not writing, I'm I'm not suggesting they're equated directly, but when when there was a period of time when Australian media would... would, um, openly write about suicide in, in ways that detail how that occurred. And, um, you know, now that is entirely unacceptable. And it, it, it breaches any number of standards that are uh, developed by media themselves and by outside organisations which control those standards. So things change, things develop. And I think this is an important step in um, in moving that 
change forward. Yeah, and, and there were bo- bomb threats was another one in my very bomb early days as a, as a young journalist. There was a sort of spate of them and they developed a code of, uh, voluntarily, well, you know, very much the police <laughs> asking about it for, for a very, if you were going to refer to it, it was very quick and you certainly didn't go into detail and you didn't mm. give um, oxygen to it. Uh, so, yes, that's another case. Suicide's uh, a very interesting example. Matthew, what do you think about this? Well, I was just thinking then, as you were speaking, as you were both speaking, that family violence is another one of those areas where, you know, when I began as a young reporter, and I'm sure you, both of you too, you know, it was called a domestic, and and by and large, those events weren't publicised at all. Complete sea change on that in the last, you know, decade or so. True. Too much to the better, all to the better as well. So yes, um, so that so I mean, the point is, things uh, are not fixed in stone. That's your 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 point. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you think about this idea of republishing? Because I think that's at the core of why of, 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 of this week. Um, yeah. Yes, no, no, I agree. And I think, I think we can go back a step and say, why, why did they publish it in the first place? Like there is a, a decision to be made, you know, in, in the editorial newsroom. Um, do we publish this or not? That's a decision that is made. Um, or do we broadcast it or not? That's a decision that is made in newsrooms every single day, hundreds and hundreds of times. So, you know, it's not like you're simply saying, oh, because it's out there, because the trolls are saying this stuff, we've got to say something about it. Oh, and by the way, we don't think it's a very good thing. Because if you look at the Daily Mail's original headline, you know, they run these incredibly long headlines. You know, this one's about five lines long and it starts off with sickening Twitter trolls, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you've still got a choice as to whether you choose to, to publish that or not. And I would argue you don't need to publish it. I mean, Lisa Miller has made it very clear, uh, as did Lee Sales before her, um, made it very clear um, why they got off Twitter. And one of the points they were making was it's not only affecting them personally and professionally, but, uh, you know, you don't need to engage in this stuff. Um, And there's a message there for the rest of the media. Why do you need to publish this in the first place? If the question I would ask, if, 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 news.com.au or the Daily Mail were genuinely concerned about the effect that this kind of sickening trolling is happening, particularly towards female journalists, they would they would run a campaign about it. They would initiate stories saying this is not this is this is bad, this is having an effect on people. What are the regulatory standards? Can anything be done? Like you would go on the front foot and and report and analyse and so on in the direction that you were wanting the matter to go in rather than, you know, what looks like that a version of that old stunt that used to be done, perhaps not so old, about the royal family, which was the tabloid newspapers in England would air the original, you know, grubby allegation, whatever it might have been, and then the the sort of high-minded broadsheet newspapers would come in afterwards and make all sorts of comments about it. But they would repeat the um, all of the grubby allegations, thereby, you know, just keeping the cycle going. Yes, uh, and look, I'm, and I might add, it's not not just female journalists, of course, or presenters, or whatever. It's it's sort of it, with monotonous regularity you hear any uh, women who stick their head up above the parapet um, yes. seem to yes. be targets. And I mean, maybe you know, men are more too. Um, they. They, they are, Geraldine. I mean, look at Hamish MacDonald from uh, when he was presenting Q&A. He actually cited social media as being, you know, one of the reasons mm. that he he mm. didn't want to continue on the program because the, the trolling had become he did. so uh, had, had become so appalling. And, and uh, I mean, sorry, 
Well, look, actually, what Matthew just referred to there, I think was very interesting because there were virtually parallel media communities with different codes if, in, in the you know, pretty recent past as well. Um, like the old Melbourne Truth, as a lot of listeners will remember the Melbourne Truth, or even the now defunct News of the World in the UK, regularly aired all sorts of salacious material. That was their business model, which very rarely entered the more established outlets in their respective zones. That was the convention, unless there was an extraordinary story, which occasionally the Melbourne Truth did have. Uh, I mean, has that shifted, do you think, Monica? Is there some definite shift here which needs needs to be named and then maybe rectified? Well, uh, I mean, the shift is is clearly digital and then, of course, on top of digital social media. Uh, You know, has there been a shift? Well, you know, just like in those days, there was the kind of salacious end of the media. There is these days, and it is also their business model. I mean, the Daily Mail's business model is salaciousness um, and, and, and publishing, you know, details on stories that that few other media organisations would ever go to. I mean, I note even with the Lisa Miller story, even though news.com.au published a story with the comments originally, they then took the comments out of the story. They kept the story up, but they took the actual tweets out of the story. So there was kind of some level of insight there that perhaps... Self-correction. Oh, was, that, was that in response, Monica, to the ABC statement, I wonder? Yes. According to the timing, yes, it was. So, I mean, mm. I think that's... That was an interesting. For me, that was kind of interesting because, you know, every media organisation has its internal standards, its editorial policies, its ethics parameters within which it will work, um, and then of course the ones that are imposed by by a dizzying array of outside organisations. But, um, you know, I think I think that. I'm not sure that things have changed all that much, Geraldine, in response to your question. Mm. I think that there will always be in the media media ecosystem, you know, a spectrum of organisations that produce news according to the demands of their business model uh, and and the kind of propensity of their owners and edit, and, and editorial leaders. But and I, yeah, but but I suppose what I'm really intrigued by is whether that does shift because I think Matthew. There's a lot of hand wringing that nothing can be done about trolling. That's the classic, you know, phrase that you see again and again. But in fact, we are talking here about subtle shifts. Do you think there could be subtle shifts, almost new little codes develop about what will, even in the places that you know have a business model to be relatively sensational? Well, I think there uh, there should be. Now, I'm I'm not going to say it's a simple matter because social media and the internet in general has already proven itself to be very difficult to regulate, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. And, I mean, I'm thinking if, if you know, when people do, as you say, ha- you know, wring their hands about that and then throw them up in the air and say nothing can be done, um, just cast your mind back a couple of years to when the previous federal government, the coalition government, actually introduced the news media mandatory bargaining code. Now, that was about... Um, persuading the the you know the big tech behemoths to pay for some of the content that the that journalistic outlets provide, mm. nobody thought that could be done before it was done. It's it's you know there's there's a whole lot of issues with that code by the way, but that's another story. But the point is that it was done. It was done in the face of vehement opposition from Facebook and to a lesser extent Google. It happened. It's now being picked up in other parts of the world. So. Something things can be done, and that's at that level. And at the internal level, in news organisations themselves, there could be 
you know, more work done to actually to work on those sorts of internal codes in the ways that, mm. that both you and Monica have already suggested about reporting on suicide and so on. Like, like we, we are sentient human beings. We can do some of this ourselves. We don't have to always mm. wait for government to do something. So there's a, I think there is some, a lot more that can be done than is being done. Um, one of our texters has written, Bruce, no press standards will ever outweigh sensationalism. It sells. Look at Fox in the US. Well, of course, if you do look at Fox in the US at the moment, Monica, it's just totally fascinating how it's they're sort of reaping what they've sown. Um, and we'll just see quite where that heads. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yes, that has been that's been a great uh, television drama to watch. You know, as it unfolds, actually. But you know, that issue of um, that issue of of the role that social media, the impact that social media is having on on the news production cycle, I think is a really really interesting one, um, because increasingly we see at all across all media that there are very, very few outlets that don't use social media as a cue for the production of news. And, and I think that is not something that you can control, uh, that government can control. That is, an, as Matthew says, that is where you rely on an organisation to have some, you know, some, some yeah. to okay. place ethical boundaries around its journalists. Now, look, I just want to go to the other story that really consumed a lot of attention this week was the, um, the series called Red Alert, the uh, Sydney Morning Herald Age series, which cites the opinions of a group of five commentators and analysts regarding China. China and Australia's preparedness for conflict, all amidst very vivid graphics. And they say we should expect to be in a war with China in three years. In other words, it was pretty specific. Now, Matthew, what was your judgment? Is this rep- is this reporting of worth? Oh, look, I think this one's a, a difficult one because, I mean, I, I heard the, well, I read the former Prime Minister Paul Keating's um, pronouncement about it. You know, he's mm. in a much better position in some ways to judge this than me. But I think one of the things I was concerned about was originally was that they they ran this series of articles without much in a way of framing it as in framing what they're doing and but actually on the first day they did run their editorial set out what they were trying to do and why they were doing it and so on so I think the problem is that they you know they devoted a lot of editorial weight to it. That is, it was several pages each day for three Three days. days. Mm -hmm. And it was, as you say, Geraldine, it was, we are going to be at war with China within three years. It was pretty specific. And I think on such a, both a delicate and, and not unknown, but very difficult to get your head around topic like, you know, international geopolitics and the shifts and where's it going and so on. Being so specific is, is a bit of a flag and and perhaps sent readers, you know, in one direction rather than, you know, rather than actually considering this in its complexity. Because I think the the five people who were their panel all seem to be in heated agreement with each other. And if, if there's one thing I know, and I don't know a great deal about international geopolitics, it's that there's a lot of disagreement about it and a lot of contention and argument and, you know, into the weeds and the nuances and so on. So I think that was one of the issues that I had with it. Uh, Monica, your thoughts? Yeah, look, reasonably similar. I mean, I think it's perfectly legitimate, of course, to to ask the question about Australia's national security. You know, uh, if we were to become embroiled in a war between the, the United States and China, are we prepared for that? But I think it has to be done 
responsibly. I mean, in this, these pieces, I think they tended, they were asserting claims as facts. I think that's extremely dangerous, particularly with this subject material. Um, you know, the assertion, the, the, the claim that, that we will be at war within three years was, was literally asserted as fact. And so they were based on the opinions of these analysts rather than any real investigation or prosecution of what they were saying. And I found that kind of surprising coming from those particular authors and from that stable. Um, and, and, of course, there was a, a real alarmist tone to all of them um, and coming as they do ahead of this, this this defence review and the announcement that we're expecting on Tuesday from the Prime Minister about Arcus, you know, they do they did give the impression that all of those factors were linked and, and that is slightly disturbing as well. I think Paul Keating's, one of Paul Keating's main points in his splenetic response was that there was not one single China specialist uh, if they were talking about worries of China because that they weren't talking about that. I really think they were talking about defence preparedness and it was a very, I mean, it, 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 there wasn't balance but there was a sort of a, almost like uh, they say they wanted to galvanise rather than uh, terrorise or to put fear in people's minds, but it was very much a sense of where are we in our defence preparedness? That was really, I think, the angle. It's just that it, it wasn't a debate, was it? It wasn't a debate. There was, there was a... a, a, a... A lack of the lack of balance was very very apparent. I mean, all the panelists, as you say, seem to agree with each other. Perhaps there are no military defence experts in Australia who actually disagree with the contention that wars around the corner. Who knows? But if it there would are, be worth pointing so, out. But but if, where have where have the out. opinion pieces been that that could have been run? You know, during the week. You know, if you want to kick off a debate, there could have been some more opinion pieces run in in either the Sydney Morning Herald or the Age from a range of perspectives, so that you can then at least say. You know, we've kicked off an important debate. Uh, so, do you think that as one of our texts has just come in, very important point that actually Twitter did allow a very good commentary on the robo debt um, discussion, and Twitter users had taken a very keen interest, and Miss uh, the uh, Commissioner Holmes complimented Twitter users on their interest. Uh, mm-hmm. So, the, you know, ma- and mainstream media did not, they said, is not interested in robo-debt because it's about poor people. This is our texter who don't count in Australian society. So that's a very interesting um, perspective on Twitter. Well, well it is. Yeah. It is. And there's a couple of things to say there about one is that I, I agree with the texter that the mainstream media has not covered robo, the Robo-Debt Royal Commission particularly thoroughly. I mean, Rick Morton at the Saturday paper is a kind of shining exception there. And indeed, he to pick up the other part of the point that the texter has made, has been has been live blogging at the Royal Commission in recent weeks. And so he's not only been doing his daily reporting or his weekly reporting for the Saturday paper and his longer pieces for the monthly, he's been live blogging it as well, using the kind of what the internet enables you to do as a reporter, um, all to the good. Okay. And, and Twitter, as we know, in its early years and until its more recent kind of explosion under Elon Elon Musk, you know, was a, was a kind of a, a place where a lot of really smart and well-informed people, as well as yes. fruit bats, got together and, and critiqued what was going on in the mainstream media to very good effect. All right. Look, um, we just decided to prompt you all. <laughs> <laughs> by this discussion because there's no sort of perfect answers. This is what's so interesting about it. So Monica Rathard and uh, Matthew Rickerson, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thanks, Geraldine. Uh, and uh, we're going to switch our focus now, and I do thank you for your really thoughtful texts. Switch focus to discuss the law of the sea. 
ABC RN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.